Well, Merry Christmas. Let's do that better. Merry Christmas. Man, I love Christmas. There's some really cool things about Christmas that we need to really learn to capitalize on. Can you just believe that in our culture, we have a whole month that is set aside for us to talk about Jesus? Come on, right there, amen? Come on. Like, we have, our culture has organized our finances around this Christmas story. We have organized our entertainment around it. Everything is organized around this story of Jesus being born. And listen, if we miss that this Christmas, we're going to be disappointed disappointed, aren't we? We're going to be a little depressed. We're going to miss out on everything that God has for us. So we should learn to leverage everything about this season for the good of a good God. Amen. We need to learn to leverage everything about it. So many times we'll complain about Christmas. Have you noticed that? You ever complain about Christmas? What if I would have stood up here and opened with happy holidays? What would you have said? You got a little frustrated with me? I can't believe somebody would say happy holidays. They don't really understand the real meaning of Christmas. Guess what? You can still say Merry Christmas. There's so much to love about Christmas. Listen, I love Christmas. Don't you? Don't you love Christmas? Don't you love getting Christmas gifts? Can somebody say yes? Love getting Christmas gifts, if I'm just being honest. I realize it's better to give than to receive. I realize that. And I want to help you be a blessing so you can give to me. That's awesome. Right? I mean, I love gifts. I love to give gifts. I love to get gifts. I love the whole deal about gifts. I love Christmas entertainment. I love Christmas movies. I love to settle in and watch the Polar Express just to kind of get an idea about the first gift of Christmas. Love entertainment. Christmas vacation. Anybody like that one? You shouldn't. Center, center. You're bad. No, kidding. Jokes, jokes. Funny. There's, some, there's just some entertainment around Christmas that's great. Christmas carols are amazing. But then you have Christmas decorations. Did everybody finish this week? Anybody finish decorating your house? Okay, how many people, how many people have Christmas trees at home? Let's go. A lot of people. So most of us have Christmas trees. We have a real tree and fake trees. We have both because uh, we want to be equal opportunity offenders. Like we want to be able to talk about both sides of that one. So we have, <laughs> we have a live tree and we have some fake trees and it's obnoxious sometimes, but we love that. There's another thing that I bet most of us have in our homes when it comes to Christmas decorations. How many of you have a nativity scene? How many of you have some type of nativity scene in your house? Okay, if you don't know what a nativity scene is, see me in the back after church. But, but so we've got a couple, like I've got one at our house that my grandfather made. It's ceramic. It's so cool. Everybody say, aww. It's so awesome. And so every, every piece is hand wrapped. You know, you have to wrap them up individually. So every year when I unwrap them, I break something. So this year the cow has no more ear uh, in our nativity scene. But in the nativity scene, we see that baby, we see that picture of the manger. We see baby Jesus in the middle. And there's always, always, always the wise men in the manger scene. And usually there's three of them because there were three gifts, even though there were more wise men. We always have wise men in the manger scene. And, I, and the wise men, they, they showed up two years after Jesus was born. And so I don't put them right next to the baby Jesus. I put them across the room because they're in route at our house. And so, but they're a trademark of the Christmas story. And so we're going to use this series to talk about the wise men and the fact that they chased stars. So let's just, let me just read this story. Grab your Bible real quick. And if you don't have one, you can go to the app or you can always grab a paperback in the back. We'd love for you to read along with us. We're in Matthew chapter two. We're in Matthew chapter two. We're going to start out in verse one. And I just want to read this story. And for those of you who are reading along, every time you see the word star, I want you to say it out loud, okay? So let's practice that. Star. Star. 
Say it again. Star. Yeah, I'm, every time we read it, I read it, I want you to read it out loud. So Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his when it rose and have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, O you, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel." Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained or learned from them what time the had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and he said, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. And after listening to the king, they went on their way and behold, the that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they had offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed in their own country by another way. And so we see these wise men, these magi, these priests, these well-educated well-learned men traveling, following, and chasing after a star. And if we're honest, we're all chasing something. We're all chasing something that we think is going to bring us happiness. We think is going to bring us satisfaction. We think is going to bring us hope. We think is going to bring us peace. We think is going to bring us joy. And most of all, we are chasing something that we hope will help us find our purpose. Everybody wants to know their purpose. Do you want to know your purpose? Say yes. We we want to know our purpose. Why am I here? What's the reason for my life? What's going on? What am I supposed to accomplish? What am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to live? What decisions am I supposed to make? What is my purpose? Like This is one of the number one questions that I get. Stephen, how do I know my purpose? If someone calls me and wants to take me to lunch, I know one of three things is about to happen. They're going to criticize my preaching. That's a joke. Gosh. (laughs) They're going to give me a big check. Or, that's a joke too. And, or they're going to say, Stephen, help me understand my purpose. How do I know what I'm supposed to do? How do I know what my life's about? We spend a lot of effort and energy trying to find our purpose. We spend a lot of time and thought. We do a lot of things to find our purpose. It does start probably in high school. It starts a lot earlier now than it did when we were probably, most of us were in high school. But we take inventories. We want to know what our gifting is. We want to know what we're passionate about. And then we try to decide what school to go to based on what I think my purpose is. So that they have the right, they have the right school for me to go to. They have the right training. They have the right degree path for me to go in. And so we, we try it that way. And then we take all the personalities profiles, you know, Myers-Briggs, we take the disc, we take the Enneagram. Do you know what your Enneagram is? You know what number you have? Because if you don't, that's the new thing. So you need to find out because you'll never know your purpose. Just kidding. Um, 
We, we go through all this trying to find out. And then we, we, do, we always get this question. What are you passionate about? You ever get that question? What are you passionate about? And we mistake passion for purpose. Because here's the truth. Your passion is going to change. Today, you're passionate about shopping. It is not your purpose in life. As fun as it is, and as much as you should do it, guess what? There comes a time when you won't be shopping. You may be passionate about football, or you were up until yesterday. I'm just saying, things change. Am I wrong? Passions can change. You know what they're not asking in other parts of the world? What are you passionate about? Because you know they know what they're passionate about. They're passionate about eating and avoiding roadside bombs in some places around the world. Like, sometimes we mistake passion with purpose. And then we start doing things and we think that's our purpose. We start, we get in a job or we get in a role and we get a title and we get a a name and we think that's our purpose. And then something shifts and that's no longer what we do and we feel like we've lost our purpose. Or we do something we thought was our purpose and it fails and we feel like we've lost our purpose. We can't find it. We don't know what it's about. You know, some of you are moms and you think your purpose in life is to be a mom. You feel like that's your purpose, that's your God-given purpose, that you're really great at wiping faces and other parts of the body, and you're really good at that. And, but, but there comes a point where and kids grow, and your purpose transcends that title of mom or that title of dad or that title of spouse. You see, your purpose, it is bigger than where you are, right? It transcends, it transcends this time Your purpose is so much bigger. Your purpose is the glory of God. Your purpose in life is to bring glory to God. And here we see the wise men looking, chasing a star so that they can understand what it means and define this baby called Jesus so that they could worship him. And sometimes people feel like, man, you missed your purpose. You missed your purpose. You're too old or maybe you're too far gone or maybe you didn't get that degree or you didn't take that particular career path and you feel like you missed it. I just want to unpack a little bit of what we see in this story that helps us understand God is actively, intentionally, and supernaturally involved in your life right now at 1131 on December 2nd. Like right now in this moment, God is actively, intentionally, and supernaturally involved in your purpose. So when we, when we see the story of the wise men and we see them in the nativity scene, it's important to understand the breadth of the entire story. So I need to start a few thousand years before they actually showed up at Jesus' home. So a few thousand years before they showed up, there was this people, the nation of Israel, the Jews, that was called the Hebrews. And God reached down and he said, you are my people. Now, now he created them as his people, not for their own glory, not for their own comfort, not for their own victory, not so that they could rule, but so they could take the message of a good God to the rest of the world. They were intended to be a blessing to the world. This is why they were created. It's why they were set apart as God's people. And so there came a point where they decided they didn't like that idea. They wanted to do something different. And so they, be, they began to be selfish. They began to mistreat each other. They began to kind of step back from telling other people about the goodness of God. And so God said, I'm, I'm going to have to just kind of let you suffer the ramifications and the consequences of your actions. 
And so the Assyrian army invaded Jerusalem. Now, the Assyrian army, known as the most fierce, or at least if not the most, they're in the top three most fierce military operations in history. In history. So they would move into a country that they were overtaking, and they would take the citizens who were there, and they would export them all over the rest of the empire. Because they didn't want them to consolidate because they'd have too much power. So they would move them all over the empire. So they take over Jerusalem. They take away everything that the Jews had. They took away their families. They took away their homes. They destroyed their temple. And then they removed them to all places all over the kingdom. But the one thing that the Jews took with them was God's word. It was called the Torah, right? The Bible, the Old Testament. They took that with them, and they were still able to tell people about God. They were still able to remember that he was coming back for them. They were still able to read about and think about and know about a king who was coming. And so while in Assyria, these wise men who were well-educated in religious matters, diplomacy, astrology, and everything in between, they, they knew everything, and they read about this star. So think about this story of redemption, what was used as destruction for a people, for a nation, where they were transported and transplanted away from everything they knew. God is now redeeming because he's going to send some wise men to experience a king who's been born in the world. God is actively, intentionally, and supernaturally involved in every aspect of your life. That brings us to the star. Now, the star is very important in this story. Because it just shows God's active involvement in the world. Now, some people have thrown out different hypotheses about what the star was. Some people say maybe it was Halley's Comet. You've heard of Halley's Comet? Say yes. Halley's Comet comes around every 75 years or so. And some say maybe that was it and just the path it was on. It looked like a star. It was just some astral event, you know, whatever. Some say maybe it was Venus and Jupiter were lined up just perfectly at that time. And some say maybe it was an angel that just hovered over the place where Jesus was. I want to tell you the relevance of those particular hypotheses. Nothing. Nothing. Let me tell you, let me just, let me tell you why. Because if God can create the world. Now, and let's say you may think it's 6,000 years ago. You may think it was 6 billion years ago. That's a different argument for a different day. But whenever he created it, a long time ago, if God can take the world, put it in motion... To such a degree, with such a plan, with such intentionality, that a star, a comet, or planets align over Bethlehem at just the time the wise men showed up, I think that pretty much proves he can do what he wants to. It proves that God's actively involved in the world. And God is actively involved in your life. The reason why you are here this morning is because God's actively involved. For whatever reason, whether you're engaged or checked out, whether you're mad or sad, whether you're hungry or full, man, God is, God is actively involved in what you're experiencing today. God is actively involved. And it doesn't matter how old you are. So many people will be like, you know what, just, it's too late. I'm too old, missed my time. I've made too many mistakes. I've gone too far. I didn't make the right decisions. I wasn't active enough. I wasn't paying attention. And what the story of the star proves to us is that's not true. 
God is actively involved intentionally in your life so you can fulfill the purpose for which he has created you to fulfill. And that is to bring him glory. That's why you're created, is to bring God glory. Your life is a witness to the power of God. You're not going to miss it. So many people will say that to me like, man, I just don't want to miss God's will for your life. As if it's going to be an accident. You, can't, you won't miss it. God's big enough to overcome your mistakes and your wrong turns. You're not going to miss it. There's a guy in the Bible who really had this clear mission statement. He got this clear vision of what his life was to be about. It's a guy named John the Baptist. Let's say that. John the Baptist. Now, he wasn't a Baptist. Uh, He's called the Baptist because he baptized people. And we're going to do that next week, as you know. John baptized people. Now, John had this very unique role in history. John was Jesus' cousin. John's mom and Jesus' mom, they were pregnant at the same time. So, So John's mission, the reason why he was born, was that he was to be the one to tell people about Jesus. He was to go before him and to tell people, the one who's coming He's the one you've been looking for. He is the king. He's the one who can restore everything. He's the one who's come for your redemption. This is the one that's come. This was John's role in life. And John was very, very clear on his role in life. There was a time when someone would come to him and they would say, John, John, people think maybe you're the Messiah. Now, now if I'm John, I'm like, really? That's what they're saying? Well, Maybe just a little bit, I am. You see, John had this large following. John had dozens to hundreds of people who were following him saying, what do we do? How do we live? You teach us, you be our leader. And, but John knew that wasn't his purpose. So there was this one scenario where John's disciples began to see that Jesus was gaining more followers than John. They were disturbed. They thought maybe they needed a, they needed a marketing program. They needed to change their strategy. Because someone else was winning. And they say, John, Jesus is gaining more followers. He is baptizing more people than you are. And that's your, quote, title. And here's what John said. He must increase, meaning Jesus, but I must decrease. He must increase, but I must decrease. He must get all of the glory, but I must step back. He must be the most, and I must step back. I must fall away. I must make little of myself. John, if anybody had a mission statement, that was it. He was very clear on his mission statement. Now, we spend a lot of time crafting personal mission statements, don't we? Maybe maybe for this next year, you've got a word for the year. Maybe there's a mission statement you're putting into place. Maybe it's for you and your family. John was clear on his mission. He must increase, and I must decrease. And in that imagery, you see You see how he reflects glory onto God. Our purpose has to start with God first. Our purpose has to start with God first. It looks a little bit like this. So so some of you right now, you can see me because there's a light shining on me. Am I right? Somebody say yes. So when you came in, you didn't look up at that light and think, wow, that's a DMX 3000. And it looks like it's about 2,500 lumens. And I think maybe there's 16 colors and 42 gobos. and all. You didn't look up at that light and say, because that light's not designed for you to do that. That light is to cast a glory on me. 
And this is what our life is to do. Our life is to shine in such a way that it casts glory onto Jesus because he's worth it. He's worth it. Any other, any other purpose in life, it is too small. Anything else you give your life to, it is too small. Glorifying Jesus is the only thing that transcends your life now. People are always looking for a purpose that's bigger than themselves. They're always looking to give their life to something that's beyond what they could do, that's beyond this time, that's beyond this place. And he's it. Jesus is it. Anything else is too small. It's, it's a little bit like this. If you give yourself over to another purpose in life, it's gonna, you're going to have a little bit of the, what I like to call the Christmas hangover. Anybody ever experienced that? Not that one, the other one. So it goes like this. Let's say, how many, how many parents of small kids do we have? Right? How many, so a few of you, small kids meaning under the age of 21. There we go. All right. Now you're with me. Like, there is something about when a kid experiences Christmas morning that is just magical, isn't it? Like, I used to love Christmas morning. Still do, but as a small kid, I couldn't contain myself. Now, at our house, you, could, you, you had to stay in bed until 6 a.m. You couldn't get up before 6 a.m. Anybody else do that, 6 a.m.? Now, it should be at least 10, 10 a.m. Raise your hand, 10 a.m., you're welcome, parents. Um, but I, we couldn't get up until 6. And so there was a year when I got up at 4 a.m. I knew what my dad was going to say. I would have said, hey, Dad, I want to get up. Can I go look at my presents? And my dad would have said, what time is it? I, I would have said, 4 a.m. He says, do you want me to get my belt? That's what he would have said. No, he wouldn't have. But he would have been like, no, I'll go back to sleep. And so I went ahead to every clock in the house, and I turned it up to 6 a.m. <laughs> wicked smart right here, not just a hat rack. Come on. Because <laughs> I wanted to experience Christmas morning. I mean, think about it. We love Christmas morning. But what happens about 2 p.m. in the afternoon? All the gifts are open. At least two of them are broken at this point. Am I wrong? Like, all the gifts are open. Wrapping paper's everywhere. Maybe you put it up. And then you, as you get into that evening, there's just this Christmas, oh, all this is kind of anticlimactic. It's over. That's the feeling you'll have in life if you don't give your life over to the glory of God. You'll be disappointed. You'll be empty. And you feel like you stopped short. And you'll realize you gave your life over to something that really has no capacity. It was really beneath what you had been created for. Like imagine this. Imagine you were invited to eat at a Michelin three-star restaurant. And you were going to get to go for free. And you'd been invited with a small select group of people. So you get all dressed up and you go to the restaurant and you're ushered into this room. And it's top of the line everything and they bring plates out around the table and they're all covered and you cannot wait and so all at one time they uncover everybody's dish on the count of three and they grab the cover one two three and they open it up and there you are staring at a plate full of franks and beans feels a little less than what you expected doesn't it and this is what, we, what happens when we live a life for any other purpose we, we believe our accomplishments, we believe our, our titles, we believe our achievements, that those are our purpose. And what ends up happening is in our culture specifically, we end up very driven. Driven. Driven to succeed, driven to excel, driven to produce. 
And the only thing that needs to be driven is cattle. Nobody wants to be cattle. So we end up empty. It's the reason why I believe we're at epidemic proportions of depression and suicide. It's because we are driven, 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 and it can't measure up to the hype. Because there's only one thing that can. And that's a life that's lived to the glory of God. That's a life that reflects on Jesus. It's a life that pours itself out like John the Baptist was, that Jesus increased and that we stepped out of the spotlight. Now, now we, we would like for it to be this, when, we, when it comes to our purpose, we'd like for it to be kind of this aha moment where we experience it all at one time. This moment of glory where everything comes together in life. And sometimes I think people are expecting that scene from Christmas Vacation. Remember this scene where Clark has the plugs and it's finally going to work. And the whole movie is built up to this point. And he plugs the plugs together and the house lights up and the angels sing. Like, this is how we expect it to be when we find our purpose. We're just going to step into this full glory of everything. And what we know that more than anything is that, is that our purpose is found in our daily decisions. It's found more in the direction of our life. Listen, if you have the right direction, you'll get where you need to go. You'll get to your destination. You may take some different turns. You, you may take some detours, but, but you'll get there. As long as you have the right direction. We see this in the wise men. The wise men knew the direction they were supposed to go. They didn't know that they were going all the way to Bethlehem, did they? So if you think about the story, it says that they saw a star, they went to Jerusalem. And when they got to Jerusalem, they said, hey, we, we're, we've come to find this guy named the king of the Jews. We want to worship him. Where is he? They didn't know. And then when they got to Bethlehem, they saw the star was over the place where Jesus was, and they knew. And so many times we won't even get started unless we have the roadmap and the plan. Unless we understand the full length, the full time it's going to take, the full direction every single turn, we don't, we don't even get started. I think for most people, understanding God's purpose for your life is just to get busy. It's just to get moving, doing something. Better you should do something wrong than do nothing at all. So we need to understand what that means. There's, and this happens in every single opportunity, every single event of our lives. Watch it in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. It says, whether you eat or drink, we all eat and drink. Whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, meaning everything. Sleep, we all sleep. Go to church, go to work, carpool, buy gifts, decorate our houses, uh, connect with our neighbors. Whatever you do, do all the glory of God. See, this should infiltrate everything that we do. We don't need to do anything else. We're busy enough. We just need to take what we do and use it for redemptive purposes. We need to use everything we do to point to the glory of God. This is why Christmas is so awesome, because you just get to do exactly what you've been doing, but with a different perspective. Keep shopping. Keep getting stuck in traffic. <laughs> keep fighting the crowds. Keep going to church. Keep volunteering. Keep serving. Keep giving. Keep giving gifts. Keep sending out Christmas cards. Right? Keep decorating. And as you do it, bring glory to God. How can you do that, right? Ask yourself that question. In Colossians chapter 3, it says this. It says, whatever you do, work heartily at work. Ask for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from your Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. 
not, you are serving the Lord Christ. So when you go to work, you're not working for your boss. You're not working for your bonus. You're not working for your promotion. You're working for the Lord. Now, hopefully all those other three happen, but you're working, you're working for the Lord. And we have to realize that our daily decisions are what point our life to Christ. Everything that we do. So, so the question you have to ask, how are you making Jesus in your life bigger in your life today? How are you making Jesus bigger in your life today? So after this, you're going to go to lunch, more than likely. Most of you. Most of us. Like, what does that look like? Like, how, how do you treat people when you walk in? Like, how, how can you be kind? How can you love people? How can you be generous in a moment? Like, what does that look like in your life on a daily basis? The small things where we begin to look like Jesus, because when we look like him, other people will see that he's being elevated. Like, what does that look like in your life to elevate Jesus, to, give, to live out this larger purpose, this transcendent purpose? Like, when you go to work, when you're at home with your family, if you have family at home, like, what does it look like how you treat your spouse and how you treat your kids and how you treat your dog? Like, what does it look like? You're elevating, you're casting glory onto Jesus and not on yourself. He must increase and I must decrease. Second question I think we have to ask ourselves is who are you telling? Who are you telling? If your life is about God, and I'm talking right now to those of us in the room who who would call ourselves Christians, who would say we follow Jesus, like if your life is about God, how will anybody know that he is worth their life? How will anybody know of his glory unless we tell him? Like, who, who are you telling? When's the last time you told somebody about the work of God in your life? Now, there's some different ways you could do that. I understand. You know, there's some different ways. There's a lot of different ways. You could stand on the street corner and you could get a megaphone and you could tell people. That feels counterproductive in my book, but you could do that. And some people do that. But also, you could have connect with your neighbors and just ask them, hey, do you guys go to church anywhere? You know, it's Christmas. Again, let's leverage Christmas. We'd love to invite you to go to church with us because we'll be there and you can tell them when you'll be there. Inviting people to come to this place is an incredible way for you to tell people and for you to live into your purpose. But that's only one step. And I would never want us to sell ourselves short. What we see in Scripture is that we've all been given this command called the Great Commission that we're to go and tell people. That we're to tell our family, we're to tell our friends, we're to tell people we come in contact with, we're to tell people that we we cross paths with about Jesus. And I'm going to tell you right now the one way that you can waste your life. Now, now, if I were to ask you, how can you waste your life? Do you, would you want to waste your life? You'd be, well, I don't want to waste my life. Nobody wants to waste their life. You don't want to get to the end and be like, well, that was fun. Can I do that again? Can I start over? We realize that when we get to the end, we're at the end. Nobody wants to waste their life. And, and we do things so that we don't waste our life. But there is one clear way that you can waste your life. It's not that you don't give money. Like, you should be generous. But that's not how you would waste your life. It's not that you don't serve. It's not that you aren't kind to people. The one way you can be guaranteed to waste your life is to not tell people about the greatest event in history about Jesus. It's pretty obvious in Scripture that if he is central to our lives, 
if we've been given this commission to tell people about him, the greatest thing that can happen, the greatest thing that we can do is to tell people, and if we don't, I believe and I'm afraid that we'll stand before God and we'll have regrets and we'll feel like we wasted our life. We won't waste our life if we don't live up to our potential. We won't waste our life if we don't fulfill our passions. We will waste our lives if we don't point people to him by telling people this. Like part of our culture here at Stone Creek is that we believe this is natural and normal to just experience and to tell people. If you've been through a quip, you know that we, we teach people, hey, how do you just have gospel conversations that are just normal? Just normal, part of your everyday life, part of your everyday talking, part of your everyday relationships. Like how do we teach people how to do that? Uh, a couple of years ago, we had a consultant come in, and just like your businesses do, we come in, hey, tell us some things that you see, tell us some things, blind spots, help us understand best practices. And so we began to share this vision we had that we wanted people, whenever they had the ability, to be able to tell someone about Jesus. Like We feel like that that's clearly part of Jesus' commands to people who follow him. And he thought for a minute, and he said, they won't do it. The American church will never do that. And I thought to myself, you don't know our church. Amen goes right there. You don't know what God's doing in our church. You don't know the level of passion that our people have for the gospel. You don't know the lives that have been wrecked, that have been transformed, that have been changed. You don't know. And I never want us to short sell that, Stone Creek. We cannot short sell the mission that we've been given. And maybe, just maybe, we can reclaim that for the, quote, American church. Because a church that calls itself a church that doesn't do that isn't really a church. This is all we have, is to bring glory to God. Your life is so much bigger than you know. God is actively involved supernaturally involved, intentionally involved in your life so that you can bring him glory because he is worth it. He's worth it. He is ultimate. He is the beginning and the end. He is good and he's kind and he's gracious and he wants to change your life. You know, I love stars. And one of the things that I was thinking about this week is I love a meteor shower, don't you? Like, I know that's not technically a star, but when they, when they say that there's going to be a meteor shower, and it's usually in a bad hour of the night, you know what I'm saying, like 2 a.m., I'll set my alarm so I can go look out the window first to see if I can see it. And if I can't, I'll go outside in the backyard so I can look. I'm just amazed by them. And to just be able to sit and watch as light streaks across the sky. And I was wondering why I like that so much. And I remember back to a time in my early 20s, my mid-20s, that I had just given my life to Christ. I'd begun to follow him. And I was working, and we had just, we were, you know, doing the, doing the American thing. And we had bought our first house, and we'd had our first kid, and we had our first dog, and all of it. And Debbie and me and my daughter, Annalie, who was one at the time, we were out in our driveway. And we were watching one of these meteor showers. And as, the, as they kind of streaked overhead, there was a lot of them that night. Debbie and I had the very first conversation 
that God wanted us to sell all that and to go into full-time ministry. That in that moment, there was a decision that God had for us that we didn't know all, all the details of that. A little like the wise men. I didn't know what it meant. I knew I'd have to sell my house. I knew we'd be going to school. I knew that there would be some uncertainty. But I also knew that God was good and he was worth it. And I haven't always gotten it right. But I can look at a star and it's just a great, great, great reminder that God's involved in your life today. And God wants to use you to bring him glory. And with that, you'll have the greatest level of satisfaction possible. Because that is the only thing worth giving your life for. Let's pray together. So God, it's just awe-inspiring that you have orchestrated intentionally our lives and this entire creation to bring you glory. And God, you give us a part to play in that. That, that, That's why you gave us breath in our lungs, God, was just to bring you glory. And God, I pray that we'd always be a people that understands what a great dignity that is. And that we just have this privilege of sharing you with the world, of giving people over to you. God, telling people how good you are, helping them to find hope, helping them to find life. God, for the addict who's struggling and can't seem to shake it, God, that you are there wanting to help deliver them into freedom. God, for the marriage that's just struggling and trying to find some some reason to keep moving forward, God, that you want to be there to provide redemption. God, for the parent who's at the at their wits end with their teenager, that God, you're there to just fill in the gaps for them, that even in the midst of that, you want to get glory. God, for for the mom who's struggling with cancer, God, for the dad who doesn't know how to take it and doesn't know how to handle it, doesn't know how to lead through it, God, that you are there. And God, that we would just be a people that just uses everything you've given us to bring you glory, to shine our life towards you. God, that we would decrease and that you would increase. And God, I just pray for this church that we'd be a lighthouse. God, there'd be no mistake about what we're about. God, we wouldn't overproduce and overprogram, but God, we would just simply point to the goodness of God, that we would embrace the message of Christmas with everything we've got. And we just pray in Jesus' name, amen.